All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm 141. Psalm number 141. Psalm 141, verse number 1, Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me, give ear to my voice when I cry out to you, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips, do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness, and let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as when one plows and breaks up the earth. But my eyes are upon you, O God the Lord, in you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. Well, Father, we're thankful for this psalm. We're thankful for the word of God, of which it is a part. And I pray today that as we open it and look at it and uh, attempt to teach from it, I pray that you would just uh, superintend the whole process. Fill me with your spirit that I might uh, be clear and accurate and practical, help my mind to be clear today. For some reason, it's foggy. And I pray today, Lord, that you would just uh, help that uh, and just use this. Help me to say the things I ought and nothing else. And, Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have ears to hear this is the word of God. And I pray that we would accept it as such, respond to it as such, and incorporate it into our lives as such. So bless this time. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This prayer of King David is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One reason is that it seems to have taken place during the evening. Did you notice that? Uh, verse number two, the second half of verse number two, especially seems to imply that. This is an evening prayer. This past Wednesday evening, Brother Mark spoke to us and brought a very excellent word uh, on uh, putting Christ first in everything we do. And uh, making him the start of each day, beginning each day with prayer, beginning each day with God. And often we see that in the Bible, that we ought to pray first thing in the morning and seek God first thing in the morning. Matter of fact, this morning, early, as I was doing just that, I came across Psalm chapter 5, which tells us that exact thing. And so we see that all throughout, that we ought to start our day uh, with God. And I, I would suggest that if there is a single discipline that you could uh, concentrate on in your life that would really help you, it'd be that one. Start each day with God. But mornings are not the only time. Here's a perfect example uh, of, of a time when David prayer, prayed in the evening. And we have other places in Scripture where we're told to, 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 uh, uh, to seek God uh, throughout the day, all times of the day. But, but the psalm is interesting to me for that reason. Here's an example of an evening prayer. But there's another reason, and the main reason this morning that I, I, I was uh, attracted to this psalm uh, for our sermon today is because last Lord's Day I made mention of the fact that a lot of times on Wednesday evenings we do pray a particular prayer, and we pray a prayer for protection. 
And so as I read this, I, I noticed, first of all, that the, the uh, heading of the psalm is prayer for safekeeping from wickedness, at least in the New King James Bible I'm holding, prayer for safekeeping from wickedness. And so David, in this prayer, is basically praying for protection. That's what this whole thing is about. Prayer for safekeeping from wickedness would just be another way of saying prayer for protection from wickedness. And so I think David here has given us some very good advice on how to pray for protection. How to pray specifically for protection from sin. And there's one particular verse here that I think, or two verses actually, that I think give us some subtopics that would be helpful. When we say we're praying for protection, how do we drill down into that? How, how, what does that really mean? And I think David gives us here five different categories where we can pray. Categories where it can help us to be much more specific in our prayer for protection. That, that is found in verses 3 through 4. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. To practice wicked works with men who work iniquity and do not let me eat of their delicacies. And so that's what I'd like to examine this morning. Five very specific things that he prayed and for which we, and, and which we ought to pray to keep us safe, protected from sin. Number one, Lord, guard my speech. Guard my speech. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch. Over the door of my lips, verse number three. I came across a quote this week that I found very, very helpful. I wrote it down. It said, be careful of your thoughts when you are alone and of your words when you are with others. Be careful of your words. I think that's exactly what David is praying for protection from right here. Because few things reveal who you really are like what comes out of your mouth. Isn't that right? Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What you say reveals who you are. Jesus, James' brother, said, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. He also said, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Your speech betrays you. What you say, what I say, whether in the spoken word or in a written letter or in a tweet or in a post, shows your heart. It shows who you are. We've all known brothers or sisters who sing the praises of the Savior on Sunday morning and spew the vitriol of the devil the rest of the week, haven't we? Whether it's profanity or filthy jokes or unkind remarks about others, it has no place coming out of the mouth of a believer. And we who teach are warned even harder. We are teach that our words will lead us into greater judgment, for they influence so many. Again, James chapter 3, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. James had a lot to say about this. He also warned that our words have tremendous power for evil. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. James is pretty clear. It's a problem. Proverbs is filled with helpful admonition about our speech, both for good and evil. If you make it a practice of reading a chapter of Proverbs a day, which I have suggested many times in the past, I highly recommend that to you. If you do that, 
Hardly a day will go by that you do not get admonition from the book of Proverbs about our speech. I struggle with this. I struggle always with speech. I struggle to control what I say, uh, especially when I'm tired or when I'm angry. And I do get angry from time to time. Or when I'm in the flesh. You might look at your pastor and think, I would never say anything but nice things. I would never say anything but sweetness and kindness. But uh, alas, that would not be accurate. And so, I need to pray this prayer, and I need to pray it often and over and over. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So do you. Number two, guard my heart. He says, guard my speech. Number two, guard my heart. Verse number four, do not incline my heart uh, to any evil thing. Guard my heart. My heart is who I am, is my inmost self. My heart is that part of me that thinks and feels and relates. My heart is what makes me me. As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man, Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen says. And there is no part of us over which we need to pray for protection more than over our heart. You see, it's in the heart where the reality of our relationship with Christ is known. You can believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive sins with your mind. Uh, you can even believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross uh, for your sins. But if it's only in your head and not in your heart, then you're still lost. You see, God's Word makes it plain. It has to take place in the heart. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Moses told the children of Israel, You will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So it's in our heart that the very relationship with Jesus Christ takes place. And it's also in our heart where sin takes firmest hold. Sin and temptation might find their expression in the flesh. My my body, my, my eyes might look upon something. My body might do something. My mouth might say something. But it all starts... In my heart. And it is in my heart that I need to fight it. The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Jesus said, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witness and blasphemy. Sin is a matter of the heart. When Satan wanted to influence Judas to betray the Lord, he targeted his heart. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, John chapter 13. He put it in his heart. Sin is a matter of the heart. And the heart is where sin grips firmest. And so we need to pray this prayer. If we're going to pray for protection, we need to pray, Oh Lord, guard my heart. Guard my heart. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. That's what Jesus told us to pray, isn't it? In the disciples' prayer, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. 
We need to pray it over and over and over. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I need to pray those things. I need to pray them often. I need to pray them over and over. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. So do you. Number three, guard my speech, guard my heart. Number three, guard my practice. Verse number four, do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works. Guard my practice. If we are going to pray for protection with any level of honesty at all, then we can't leave our activities off the table, can we? We can't pray, Lord, protect me, and then practice the very activities he commands us not to do. We can't do that. It's a very common refrain sung from the pulpits of our land today, especially American Christianity. Maybe I shouldn't say that because I don't know if it's other places as well, but Certainly here in this country, you hear this all the time. Christianity is not about lists of rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And to that, I would say a hearty amen. But I would also say it needs some wordsmithing to make it really true, to make it really understandable. To be accurate, it ought to say something more along the lines of this. A person does not get saved or become a Christian by obeying a list of rules, but rather by trusting in and receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Amen? But implicit in that trusting and receiving are two things that are oftentimes left out. Repentance from sin and following Jesus Christ. Both of those things have to be included in there, or you don't understand it. We turn from a life of disobedience to God's command and follow Jesus, seeking to obey God's commands. There's an old word that you just don't hear preached much anymore, but it is just as true today as it was when it was first put in the Bible and as when it used to be preached, and that is the word separation. Christians are to live lives that are separated from sin and separated unto God. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, 1 Corinthians 6.17. And there's another word that means pretty much the same thing. It's the word sanctification. From the moment of salvation, we are to live lives of sanctification, meaning lives that are set apart from sin and set apart to God. This is the will of God, your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 3. So just because a practice is common in our culture does not in any way mean that it is right for a Christian. When I was a child... I used to whine to my mother, but all the other kids are doing it. To which my mother would, would uh, share this little tidbit of motherly wisdom. If all the other kids jumped off a bridge, would you do it? That kind of common sense used to prevail, but it doesn't anymore. We Christians are too easily swept up by cultural norms and too easily pulled away from godly norms. We have forgotten God's word that says, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. And these are big topics. I know they are. And we could spend a lot of time on it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat it anymore. But they are vital areas over which we ought to pray, are they not? If we would truly seek God's protection in our lives. Lord, guard my practices. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works. I need to pray that. 
often, over and over. So do you. Number four. So what do we got? Guard my speech, guard my heart, guard my practices. Number four, guard my associations. Verse number four, do not incline my heart to anything, any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. I have been blessed to serve God uh, in various areas of service for most of my adult life. I suppose I've been preaching or teaching or in some ways serving in, in churches for at least 40 years. More than that, I think. And I have come to recognize that there are certain absolutes in church life. For example, I have learned that when a person who was faithful to all kinds of different activities in the church, you know the kind, the kind of person who is involved in everything and doing everything and always there and the one you can always count on, when that kind of a person starts drawing back, maybe they just drop back from one thing. It's always an indication of something deeper. Almost always, I should say. An indication of something deeper. I've seen it many, many times. When one person starts to do that, they're probably going to drop away from everything soon. There's another absolute of of church life that I used to hold to, which I'm not sure I hold to anymore, at least not in this church. Because I have found throughout most of my ministry that when one person sits in a certain place in the service... And then they start moving. Something is afoot. For example, Brother Jeff is always on the second row. Always. If I were to come in here in a couple weeks and he was sitting on the fourth row. What? No, you're fine. Don't move. Because it would be bad if you moved. If he was on the fourth row, I would uh, notice that. And then if he moved back to the sixth row. It's usually an indication, it really is, it's usually an indication that he's working his way toward the door. And before long, he's going to be gone. Now, I say I used to hold to that, and I don't so much anymore, because in this church, we're usually so full that people's seats get taken, and they have to move anyway. And so it has messed with my theory. But, it really is true. Now, those may or may not be absolutes, and you may think they're absolutely ridiculous, I don't know. But, there is one absolute that absolutely, ooh, that was good, one absolute that absolutely can't be denied. We are influenced for good or evil by those we hang with. That one you can't deny. We are influenced for good or evil by those we hang with. There was some pithy wisdom that we heard when we were children, and you still hear it from time to time today. It says one bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Or as Benjamin Franklin used to put it, the rotten apple spoils his companion. The Bible says it too. The Bible says it much more plainly. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. 1 Corinthians 15:33. Every Christian ought to have that circled in their Bible. Evil company corrupts good habits. And that's one of those verses where if you read it in other translations, you get shades of meaning, which make it even maybe sometimes more powerful. The ESV and the NASB have it as, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And the NIV says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. One of my favorite Old Testament sermons, and one that I like to preach a lot to, uh, to young people whenever I get the chance, is from 2 Samuel chapter 13. It's the story of Amnon and Jonadab. I included it in my book on digging into the life of David. Amnon was destroyed. Destroyed. To a large extent by his association with Jonadab, his friend, who led him down a wrong path. 
Amnon was an example of the saying, show me your friends and I'll show you the future. Your future. He was a living reminder of the proverb, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Amnon had a friend, and that friend influenced him to his destruction. And so if we're going to pray for protection, let us ever remember to include this facet of it. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. Lord, guard my associations. I need to pray it often, over and over. So do you. Finally, number five, guard my appetites. Do not let me eat of their delicacies, my appetites. Now, I know what some of you are thinking as you look piously from where you're sitting upon my somewhat expansive girth that I should be praying that more often. I know you are. I can read your minds. And you're probably right. But the appetites I think David is referring to here go beyond food. Food might be part of it. Daniel is a wonderful example of someone avoiding worldly appetites that entice us. In his case, it was a matter of food. Daniel chapter 1, the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So in his case, it was food that he struggled against and rebelled against. But there are other appetites we struggle with that we need to pray for protection over. Sex in all its varied forms, pornography, sex outside of marriage, extramarital sex, homosexuality, all of the gender confusion that has come to the fore in just the last couple of years, all of these are examples of appetites over which we ought to pray. Money, power, are certainly appetites that many struggle with. And the opposite, just as much a problem, laziness, play, leisure, are all things that keep many a Christian occupied. Do not let me eat of their delicacies, David prayed. I need to pray it often, over and over, and so do you. So, the next time that you think about praying for protection, consider how David prayed for it. His prayer for protection from sin involved praying for protection from sinful speech, from a sin-filled heart, from sinful practices, from sinful associates, and from sinful appetites. And there are some things we can do in addition to praying. One good exercise to help in all of those categories is to replace the negative with the positive. Turn off the junk, as our sister Beth recently said, but don't leave an empty space where that junk was. Rather, fill it with the positive, the good, the godly, the biblical. Those words we asked God to help us guard, practice making sure we not only avoid evil and wicked and rotten speech, but also put out as many positive and righteous and godly things as we can. Practice praise-filled speech, encouraging speech. Psalm 71, let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. That heart that is such a cesspool of sin that we prayed over a minute ago, fill it with God's praise and the joy of your salvation. That's, that's what Hannah did. Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice 
in your salvation. The psalmist, Psalm chapter 13, did the same thing. He said, I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So fill that heart with the joy of your salvation and the praises of God. And there's nothing that you can do that will help your heart to be right, that will fill your heart with the positive and crowd out the negative more than regular and copious doses of God's word. And you knew that I was going to get there somewhere, didn't you? Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And how about that, those practices that we must seek to avoid? We can replace them with godly practices. Practice serving God. Practice doing good. Practice being kind. Practice living for Jesus. This is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And how about those associations that we're supposed to run away from? We need to replace wrong associations with right ones. Now, let me be clear. I don't think Christians should ever avoid the lost. They are our mission field. We should be seeking to win them to Christ. But when it comes to whom you develop friendships with, when it comes to who you allow to influence you, influence your thinking, influence your attitude, look for such amongst Jesus' people. The Bible says be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. And then finally, those appetites that we ought to avoid, we can crowd them out with good appetites. Again, as I mentioned earlier, I believe filling your mind with the Word of God and filling your mind with prayer and Christian fellowship is the best antidote. You can develop the appetite for godly things if you want to. You can. Jack Howells used to tell a story. Jack Howells was at one time pastor of a large, humongous Baptist church in Anderson, Indiana. He's with the Lord now. But he used to tell a story of how when he was a young child, his mother would make him eat okra. He hated okra. And his mother would say to him, eat your okra. And he'd say, Mama, you don't eat okra. You just suck it down. (laughs) And he would tell this story. But he had to eat it. She made him eat it over and over and over and over. And as he was preaching this, I think this was, I think I heard him say this one time in person. I might have read it. I don't know. But anyway, uh, he said, uh, as an adult, he said, you might not believe me now. But he said, if you were to put a big, thick, juicy steak in front of me and a bowl of slimy okra, I'd suck down the okra. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it is a good illustration of this. He had developed an appetite for it, and so it is with Christian things. We can develop an appetite for it. You say, I don't like to read the Bible. Read it anyway. Just do it. And then do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. You don't like coming to Wednesday night prayer meeting and praying with other people? Just do it. And do it. And do it. And, you know, eventually, eventually, you'll find that you love it. And it will crowd out. All of those other things, all of those other appetites that we ought to avoid. David said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. 
Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Father God, we pray those prayers today. We pray for protection. I pray for protection over everyone in this room, for myself, for every believer here. I do pray, Lord, you'd guard our speech, you'd guard our hearts, you'd guard our practices, you'd guard our associations, and, Lord, you'd guard our appetites. Help us, Father, to be people of God. And help us to replace all of the things that ought not be there with the things that ought. And, Lord, the only way we'll know that is if we're spending time in your word. Help us to be there constantly, regularly, in a disciplined and right way that we might know what are the things we ought to do. So help, Father, in all these areas. I pray if there's anybody here today who uh, maybe is struggling in, in one of these places, one of these particular categories we've discussed, I pray they'd do business with you right now. They'd talk to you about it. Well, perhaps, Lord, as we sing, they come forward and step, uh, kneel here at this altar and talk to you here. But, Lord, whether here or where they sit, may they get it right and talk to you and fix it. And, Lord, I pray today for those who might be here who none of this applies to. Of course, Father, those are those who have never trusted Jesus as their Savior. For, Father, there's only one area of protection they need to be concerned about, and that's the protection from hell. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today who doesn't know you as Savior, that they would recognize there's only one prayer that you're listening for, only one prayer that you're going to hear when they pray. And that's a prayer for forgiveness of their sin and acceptance of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Father, is there even one like that today? If there is, I pray. I pray they would uh, trust Christ this day and be saved. I pray they'd pray something like, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know you died on a cross to save me from that sin. And I accept you, believe in you, receive you as my Savior and Lord. Forgive me for my sin. Save my soul. Lord, if there's anybody who needs to pray that, I pray they would this day. And I pray they'd even step out and come to the front. Let us pray with them that they might know for certain that they are protected, part of the family, forgiven, redeemed, born again, saved, as only you can do. Father, whatever the needs might be of your people, as we wrap up our service and as we give an opportunity for response, we pray you'd work. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.